Welcome to the Gay Buddhist Forum, where teachers from all schools of Buddhism offer their perspectives on the Dharma and its application in modern times, especially for LGBTQI audiences. These talks are offered freely to the world and made possible by appreciative listeners. If you would like to support our efforts to share the Dharma with underserved audiences, please visit gaybuddhist.org. There you can donate, find a list of upcoming speakers, or enjoy many hundreds of these recorded talks dating back to 1996. Okay, today's speaker is Tom Moon. He's a psychotherapist in San Francisco, works primarily with gay men, uh, specializes in using mindfulness as a tool in psychological exploration, his spiritual home Spirit Rock. And because I had forgotten to bring the description of what the introduction, I asked him how to introduce him, and he said, most people call him Her Holiness. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say, say that. This <laughs> <laughs> talk is on equanimity. Does everyone have a handout? Okay, we got one. <laughs> that Her Holiness comment actually came... It was. Uh, it came from uh, Jack Cornfield, the the, co- the uh, executive director of um, Spirit Rock. Uh, Evan Cavanaugh is a gay man. He didn't like the term executive director, and he uh, asked. He said he wanted an, another more descriptive term. And Jack Cornfield said, "Well, how about her holiness?" <laughs> but that's where that came from. Um, so the topic is equanimity. Does everyone have a handout? Not anyone does. Um, the, what the handout is, is a brief description of what I'm going to be saying, kind of a summary of, of what I'm going to be saying. And um, what I want to do is actually do one of the traditional equanimity concentration practices. And so we'll be using um, the phrase for equanimity practice, all beings are the heirs of their karma, their happiness and unhappiness depend on their own actions more than on my wishes for them. And in this practice, you can also, if you want, use one of the alternative forms of the phrase, sort of more modern um, forms of the same idea. Of the second page, there's a Tibetan equanimity practice, which we won't do today. I just, uh, it's basically uh, a practice in seeing the friend, the enemy, and the stranger uh, with the same degree of open-heartedness. And it's a little involved, but uh, the instructions are all there, so I thought I put it there because I thought if people wanted to do that at home, it might be an interesting uh, practice to try. So um, equanimity is um, the English translation of the Pali term upeka, which literally means to look over. And it implies... Um, the kind of non-reactivity that develops uh, in mindfulness practice. Um, and um, it's, you know, it's the wisdom to be able to see clearly what's going on without reactivity. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, the equanimity is the fourth of the Brahma-viharas also known as the four immeasurables, the, the f- which are the, you know, the four qualities of the awakened heart. Uh, the other three are metta, loving-kindness, karuna, compassion, and mudita, or sympathetic joy. 
And Upeka, equanimity, always comes last on the list because it's considered the protection of the other three. The, the other three are about the opening of the heart, and then equanimity is the wisdom factor which gives it balance. Um, you know, a typical spiritual emergency that happens when people start doing uh, intensive spiritual practice is that the heart opens up. It, it's just a natural process. And uh, then what often happens is people become intensely aware of the immensity of suffering in the world. And a kind of a, a panic, a dismay, or a despair can set in. The, the Pali term for that is samwega. It's actually what the Buddha experienced when he realized, you know, at the beginning of his journey that, the, the, you know, the amount of suffering that there was in the world and how inescapable it was. So, uh, so that samwega can just take you away um, uh, unless there is the wisdom factor of equanimity to provide balance. Equanimity is basically based on a deep understanding and acceptance of the way things are. But right away, uh, misunderstanding can develop because the way things are is George Bush's president. We're in this beastly war in Iraq. There's, you know, genocide in Darfur and on and on and on. So what, you're just going to smile serenely and accept it all? You know, well, bully for you. Um, that's not what equanimity means, uh, and that's not what acceptance means. Acceptance, uh, equanimity does not mean indifference or aloofness. It doesn't mean um, complicity in what's going on. It means none of that. Because the acceptance is really, the acceptance that's referred to is about the truths of existence that the Buddha pointed to. Briefly, the, you know, the first of those, of course, is the truth of impermanence, that it is the nature of everything that arises to pass away. Um, and then following on that is the truth of dukkha, the pervasive unsatisfactoriness that results from the fact of impermanence, because it means that no worldly state of affairs, no worldly pleasure or happiness can last. We, we're on shifting sands. And you know there is no secure refuge in anything worldly. Um, another of the deep truths, of course, is karma, which broadly speaking just means that the world it, we're, we're, we live in a lawful universe in which everything happens according to causes and conditions. Um, and then the, the the application of the law of karma to human affairs in what I sometimes call the two wheels. The first of the wheels is the cycle of dependent origination, you know, which explains in really exhaustive detail how suffering arises in human life, um, how it's related to ignorance and to craving. So that's one of the wheels. The other is the wheel of the Dharma, which explains the causes and conditions for the cessation of suffering. So those are, that's, those are the truths that are accepted in equanimity. They're held to be immutable and eternal truths. A Buddha can elucidate them, but not even a Buddha can change them. They, this is just how things are. Interesting to note that not everything in Buddhism is impermanent. It could be noticed that there are, there are truths which are held to be immutable and unchangeable and eternal. Um, 
So there are um, so so equanimity is a kind of a protection. <coughs> what is it? It's a protection against yeah the eight worldly winds: praise and blame, success and failure, pleasure and pain, fame and disrepute. So our fortunes go up and down in life, but equanimity is a quality of the heart which can provide a sense of balance through all of it. And there are seven. The, the Buddha was a list maker. Kind of, might have been thought to have OCD. <laughs> I think, I think we, those lists came down to us because you know, for 500 years, none of this was written down. It was recited. You know? All the suttas begin with, thus have I heard. It was a, a monk memorizing the sutta. And then, uh, and then passing it down to future monks for five centuries. You know, so lists were very important in, in preserving the teachings. So uh, seven mental qualities support the development of equanimity. Um, they are virtue or integrity. Um, if you live uh, by the moral principles of non-harming, um, then it's said that you can go into any assembly of people and feel blameless. Um, the second quality is faith, um, or sadha, which is also, also translates as conviction or confidence. This is... Um, uh, often, a lot of people say, you know, in, in Buddhism you don't have to have faith. Um, and it's kind of true, you don't really have to to uh, believe anything that can't be verified. But there, there is a kind of faith in, uh, in confidence in the teachings, confidence that, um, that they work, essentially. Um, the Buddha, on, you know, when he began his journey, he went out of the, the palace, you know the story, and he met the four, what are they called, the four heavenly visitors, the, the, uh, they saw a, uh, a sick person, an old person and a corpse were the first three. And he realized, my God, it is the nature of all of us to, you know, get sick and to die and to suffer. And uh, that was the moment of Samwega, this dismay and despair over, over um, the nature of existence. And then the fourth heavenly visitor was he saw a renunciate sitting in deep meditation. And there was the... Uh, the embodiment of confidence that there might be a way out, that there might be practices or a way of life that leads out of this dilemma. So that's the kind of confidence that's referred to. Um, the third quality is a well-developed mind. Um, you know, just, just as working at the gym um, helps develop physical strength, practices that cultivate calm, concentration, and mindfulness brings strength, balance, and stability. The fourth is really important. It's a sense of well-being. Um, it, it, uh, you know, the, the Buddha was not just known as Buddha, the awakened one. He was also known as the happy one. It's kind of interesting. He was happy. That was the, in fact, that was the main attraction when he uh, to him. You know, when. Uh, on the, night, on the morning after his enlightenment, uh, all the people who had rejected him because he, he wasn't practicing austerities anymore, they looked at him and there was all this light and joy coming out of him and they said, you know, what happened? How can we get, how do, how can we get this? His followers, his disciples were said to be a very happy group of people. 
Um, so the idea is that the spiritual practice cultivates a sense of well-being that is more or less independent of your life circumstances and is a much surer refuge than you know things outside of oneself. Uh, number five, understanding or wisdoms help us to understand. This is really important that other people are responsible for their own decisions, um, which helps us to be compassionate toward the suffering of others without being buffeted by a false sense of responsibility for them. I mean, I find this really helpful in uh, my therapy practice. Like, for instance, working with drug addicts or alcoholics doing everything you can to help people get sober and then finally the decision is theirs you know and ultimately the 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 acceptance that has to come in equanimity is acceptance that I can't make anybody do anything um, a little start digression here uh, a few years ago in my uh, therapy work I got I was really kind of dry and burnt out and I went on a vacation and it didn't help much so I went on a, uh, a retreat at Harbin Hot Springs to see Adya Shanti. Do you know Adya Shanti, the Zen teacher? Really beautiful man, a very deeply uh, realized man, in my opinion. And, um, you know, I went up and talked to him, uh, and I said, you know, I'm really uh, feeling that I just can't help anybody right now. And his advice to me was basically, he said, you know, you'd probably be a lot better therapist if you'd stop trying to help people. <laughs> Which was a great equanimity teaching. Thank you for listening to the Gay Buddhist Forum. If you would like to hear several new talks per month and be notified of upcoming speakers so you can participate live, please subscribe to this podcast, like us on Facebook, and join our mailing list by visiting gaybuddhist.org.